to this week's episode of The Buzz. We are your hosts, Megan Miller and Scott Tatey, ready to talk another week of entertainment. A lot of music, a lot of good shows. Uh, we were both excited. The Three Rivers Arts Festival announced its lineup last week. Yeah, they'll be here um, the first, you know, two weekends in June, like I like usual, but they announced um, all of the uh, musical um, concerts and lineup for the each night of the festival. Very eclectic as usual. Uh, I, I know you were excited some of the bands, Sean Rao and Dawes are two of the headliners. Uh, uh, you'll be hearing about um, uh, Michael Kawanaka, 29-year-old British soul singer. He made a lot of lists last year as one of the best albums of the year. Didn't make mine, but a lot of people really dig him. And he's here on uh, June 6th, which is a weekday, I believe. So Interesting lineup. I don't think it has the one killer show that everyone's talking about, like a, like a Wilco or a New York Dolls they had in years before. But there's definitely some shows worth driving out and checking out. Yeah, is there anyone, like, looking at the schedule, which is up online at timesonline.com slash entertainment um, right now, is there one that you're looking at and like, oh, I, I can't miss that one, I have to go to? Two of the bands have good uh, credentials, a lot of write-ups. Uh, Hippocampus is there June 3rd. They're an indie rock band from Minnesota. They play all the festivals like Coachella and Lollapalooza. That seems to be a buzz behind them. And then uh, it's on June 11th, St. Paul and the Broken Bones. It's kind of a horn-fueled R&B sort of sound. Uh, it sounds like it'll be a fun time because the arts festival shows, you know, you're outside, you're in the beautiful setting. You just you kind of want to get up and move a little bit. So I, I'm imagining those horns and good danceable music. It'll be a good night. Yeah, I'm also looking forward to the Common Heart, who is also on June 11th. They're the Pittsburgh band. Um, we've written a lot about them, and I've heard the name a lot, but I've never actually seen them. So I think that'll be a cool... Kind of a cool setting to see them in. It's a good pairing, and they're very similar. They got they got a horn section. They they just wail. It's just a lot of fun. It's music that definitely gets your your body moving. So that that may be the one to circle that June eleventh show. Yeah, I'm also excited for Dawes. Um, I saw them open for um, Hozier a couple years ago at Stage AE. So I'm kind of excited to see them. You know, as the headliner. You know, outdoors. It's very very casual it's very you know not very structured and i kind of like that about the arts fest definitely you can uh you know walk around check out some of the art of course uh, the artist market uh the food is very popular as well but uh for me the music's the big draw and it's free i mean what more can you ask for exactly and um we have a bunch of shows coming up uh this week the first uh, full week in april Sunvolt Tuesday will be my next destination at Mr. Smalls. I did an interview with Jay Farrar, uh, the, the front man of the band, and just, just an interesting story. Uh, Jay was with the band Uncle Tupelo, him and uh, Jeff Tweedy Wilco. It's basically one of the, the pioneers of alternative country or, or Americana, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, Sunvolt uh, has a new album. It's getting some, some critical, critical acclaim, and uh, it'll be a good show. So I'll, I'll report back next week, tell you what I think. But uh, tickets remain. So if you're looking for something to do Tuesday night, want to hear some great it's, – it's country, it's rock, it's got blues, it's got uh, everything. But it's, uh, it, it's a pretty upbeat album, or at least a pretty high-tempo album. So think about it. Now, when you're going to be at Sunvolt on Tuesday, I'm going to be at a different genre on Thursday. Billy Currington will be headlining Stage A.E., uh, you've seen him before? Yeah, I saw him open for Kenny Chesney. Oh, I, uh, years ago, like 2011, I think it was. Um, and I think I may have seen him one other time open for someone else. I can't remember now. It kind of all blends together <laughs> after a while. But um, he will be headlining, and I believe it's his first time headlining uh, Stage AE. Yeah, you know, uh, that is a good place to see a country show. You, you think you always think of the pavilion out in Burgettstown as the, the country stop, but uh, it's cool to 
see it in stage eight, that kind of setting. Yeah, because I feel like, especially with the country acts, when they're by themselves or they're with, their opener isn't as big of a name as the ones that draw to um, first or uh, Key Bank Pavilion now. It's a good, it is a really good venue because it's smaller, but you're still really close to them. It's not like the sprawling pavilion where, you know, there are all these, you know, the lawn and everything else. So I, I like it. I've seen um, Chris Young I saw there and also Kip Moore. So... I'm excited. I'll see what uh, we'll have to report back next week. I look forward to it. And then another show, the Decemberists are returning to town. You got to see them. Every year they're just a fun band. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, Colin Malloy, the singer, has a quirky sort of humor, and, and, and the band has some fun. But it's it's indie rock, very intelligent and, and well-structured music. Uh uh, just it's up tempo for the most part. Uh, they're just they're just fun. Uh, there's no other way. He always tells a story. Remembering one of the first Pittsburgh shows they did, where they were crashing on someone's couch after playing a coffee shop in the Garfield section or something like that. So uh, they've come a long way. They're now headlining stage AE. Uh, you know, last time I saw them it was the Benham Center and. They used to do appearances on the Stephen Colbert show, uh, you know, the Colbert Report, and, and that's where they kind of built some of their audience. But uh, it's a good band, the Decemberists. Definitely think about that. It's a Saturday night, Stage AE. It'd be a smart move. And then we can't not mention Bon Jovi comes back to town on Wednesday. Bon Jovi in Pittsburgh. <laughs> um, yeah, they're going to be headlining the PBG Paints Arena. This is their first time, as the band at least, um, in four years playing Pittsburgh. There was a time they held the record, the attendance record at that arena. Uh, about a year or so after it opened, they had, did a full house. I think it was like, man, was it 17,000, 19,000? I can't remember. So, And they've done two shows there before, like back-to-back. So... What do you think about their popularity now, though? How are they, how are they doing? Uh, you know what? I'm not really sure. Um, they're still selling, you know, number one records. Um, this House is Not For Sale came out last fall, and that's what this tour is in support of. And it did really well, like, on the charts and everything. But I don't know. I haven't been hearing a lot of buzz about um, this con- or this particular uh, concert of theirs like I had in the past. And I'm, n- I'm noticing a lot of it is the same kind of reaction. No Richie Sambora. Mm. And I, I'm wondering if that's going to hurt their sales, help their sales. I'm not really sure. But this is their first, f- like, planned full tour without um, Richie. So... I don't know. Like, part of it's like, well, let's give this new guy a chance. It's almost like Blink-182 last year. It's like, well, let's this new guy didn't do anything wrong. Let's give him a chance. But then at the same time, it's like, well, he's not Tom DeLonge. So I'm curious how all of that's going to go. Good comparison. Yeah, I uh, heard a radio commercial yesterday for the Bon Jovi show. You can get tickets as cheap as, like, $19.75 or something. And then watching the Penguin game last night, they had an advertisement on the boards of the hockey game you kept seeing. So... Seems like they're really doing some extra steps to advertise the show. It used to be the day you announce Bon Jovi and, and sit back and watch it sell out. So yeah, and interesting. I don't, I don't think it's the same um, this time around. But I mean, they always you're guaranteed two and a half hours of your favorite songs. I mean, they're a band that they they give the people what they want. Like they know that they can't get out of there without doing "Living on a Prayer," all of the hits, and they're. It sounds like they're almost like happy to play them because I didn't. Um, uh, phone teleconference with uh, Tico Torres and David Bryan back in February before they went out on tour and you know David Bryan had said you know I really I, it irritates him when bands don't play that one song that everybody you know came to see like and that's not something they'll ever do they're gonna give the people what they want 
Well, as luck would have it, we have some audio of that interview you did with two members of Bon Jovi. Yeah, um, I, it was actually the question that I got to ask, too, um, about, you know, do they feel, you know, a pressure to top themselves since they've been in the game for so long and everything? So uh, give it a listen. Uh, you talked about some of the um, things that people can expect on this tour. Do you kind of feel the need to or feel a pressure to top yourself with tour after tour, both with the music and the actual set and touring? I, I, think, I think I think uh, in early we've always tried to be better than we were in any situation. Try to do the best music you can. Try to do the best tour you can. Sometimes you can't really chase that, but you have to be happy with what you what you're what you're feeling. I think uh, if you're true and you're feeling good about it, it'll it'll translate as a good show. I you know we're it doesn't matter if you have one spotlight if if the band's not on, it's not going to convey anything. So. Bottom line is we gotta, you know, we try to play our asses off and have some fun on stage. So, so really, uh, it's a big party. You know, we want we want our audience as part of our our band, and we want them to sing and and revel as much as we do. So it's a you know we count a lot on on, on that as well to you know turn each other on. But that's the bottom line. I mean, it's really just having fun. All right, we're back at the buzz. Scott Tady and Megan Miller, your entertainment podcast, talking about the Pittsburgh Beaver Valley music scene, entertainment scene. Uh, this is the part of the show we talk about some events we covered in the last few days. Uh, I, I was at Brian Ferry on Saturday night at Heinz Hall, and uh, that was an interesting show. It sounds like it was pretty <laughs> eventful there toward the end. 20 songs in, they were rolling. They did uh, a lot of great old music from his days with Roxy Music, a very underrated but uh, talented art rock band. They, they did their big hit, Love is the Drug. And, and then song number 20, 21 or so, the sound cut out. And it was really weird. The band knew something was going on, but they kept singing. They kept playing their instruments, hoping it would come back on, but it never did. You just heard this loud mechanical hum. They blew out the soundboard. They couldn't finish the show. So uh, at one point, the the viola player came back out and tried to soothe people and, and played a little solo. But uh, it, was, it was just a curious thing. Everyone stuck around for 20 minutes hoping for the best. But Brian Fairley finally came out and said, sorry, guys, the, the sound is gone and nothing we can do. So, And he doesn't come here very often. So it just put a weird taste uh, what had been a very good show but but what do you do it wasn't the band's fault now this is a to me all i'm hearing is this is a cautionary tale to the bands that save all of their best for the encore <laughs> maybe you should intersperse them here or there because could you imagine if it was i mean you didn't get to hear like some of you know the songs yes. that you needed to hear but like we were just talking about bon jovi could you imagine if that happened at bon jovi and they didn't get living on a prayer in <laughs> people would people storm would, the stage people would burn that place down yeah. so i mean it's just a like that was the first thing i thought of when um i like i was seeing all of the activity online and then i read your review the next day and yeah, so I don't know, but that, I mean, how did he handle it? I mean, I know the problem was beyond his control, but... Apologetic. Uh, in, in retrospect, I, I wonder, I, I saw a Third Eye Blind show at Station Square where the sound went out, and they played acoustic. Uh, I guess they had some power, but they didn't have uh, a lot of it, and it, it was interesting. It forced everyone to get close to the stage and kind of check it out. They they might have been able to do that, but, you know, Roxy Music, in, in this case, Brian Ferry and his solo band, just a very intricate band. There's a lot going on, a lot of uh, organ and synth and, and uh, violin, viola, everything. Uh, so it may have been hard. So I, I guess there's nothing they could do. But uh, on the positive side, for an hour and, say, 20 minutes, it was a darn good show. So eh, at least we got that. 
And then you also experienced kind of an odd like concert mentality, or I don't even, for lack of a better word, on Friday night when Stevie Nicks headlined the PBG Paints Arena. Yeah, she made a point telling everyone this was the second night of the tour she was filming. There were these cameras flying around on uh, these big cranes and everything. But it was odd. It, it was a storyteller show, and I like that. But she told stories before and after every single song. Like, did, was so was it two stories per song? On the same then? song, yeah, okay. which is really, it kind of stretched it out, and it really took away the, the flow of the show, and, and people were getting a little, I, I guess a little antsy. I, I, maybe that's not the right word, but at some point, everyone's standing up for the encore and the great songs, and then she goes on another story, and everyone kind of sit down, and when, when you're sitting for the encore, that, that's an odd thing. Yeah, that's not usually not a good sign. And it, it just seemed like, to me, a little bit she was playing for the camera. She was focusing on, uh, well, this is going to air, whatever, maybe on HBO, maybe it'll be a DVD. But uh, it seemed like she was very focused on talking about herself. And her stories didn't really throw me. Uh, I, I praised her when she, her, she was with Flute Mac last time in Pittsburgh. She told some interesting, insightful stories. But this was more about me. This is the time I was in Paris. This is the time I was in L.A. This is the time I was partying with Prince. This is the time... You know, it wasn't like a Springsteen story. This is about a guy I met on the boardwalk. It was me, me, me. So it kind of didn't throw me. It wasn't a, I've seen Fleetwood Mac maybe four times, and I loved all those shows. This was okay. But uh, on the plus side, the Pretenders were the opening act, and they rocked. Chrissy Hine just brought it, and uh, a really good performance by them. I'm wanting the Pretenders to come back and headline soon. What what type of venue do you think they would do? Would it be like a Stage AE or a Benenum Center or? The Pretenders headlined the Benenum maybe seven, eight, nine years ago or so. Uh, I think they could do Heinz Hall, but uh, they're, they're kind of rocking out. So I think outdoor Stage AE would be a good fit a for good them. One. Now, it's funny because I always, I mean, Stevie Nicks isn't the first person to do a concert, you know, special, whether it's on Netflix or HBO or, uh, you know, something like a direct TV or whatever. But I always wondered how they handled that, like if they plan a special concert or if it is in the middle of a concert they already had planned. But it just sounds like kind of a bummer for Pittsburgh <laughs> fans because you got to see the hits, but like it came at a price. Exactly. So I don't know. They, they told people ahead of time that after the show was supposedly over, she was going to come out and do another song again. She did Stop Dragging My Heart Around for the second time, and it was entirely for the video. Uh, so people didn't know what to do. I, I'd say a third of the arena was already getting up and walking to the door. She came out and did a song she had done an hour earlier, a, a very good song, of course, but it, it was just uh, to get more video footage of it. So it was kind of an odd way to walk out of that show. Especially hearing a song you already heard, and it's pretty much like, well, I didn't do it good enough for you guys, so I'm going to redo it for my cameras. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. I just... I, I don't, I guess, love the attitude of that, but I guess that's how they, I'm sure she's not the first person to do it that way either. Right. So. And, and we've both seen songwriter story shows like Jewel you saw last year. Those work in an intimate venue more, I think, where someone can actually be sitting on a stool and you feel like the crowd can shout questions. I, I never got the sense that she was, she, her and the crowd were one. But I also think it helps with a uh, show like that, that these stories are interesting. Like, yeah. like you learn, I mean, that Joel um, show, like, I learned, like, she has this kind of frayed relationship with her dad, and she, like, lived in her car, and, I mean, she had a very interesting and very, very sad story at times, but very interesting story, some very funny, but it wasn't, she wasn't talking about, you know, shopping on Rodeo <laughs> Drive either, so. Yeah, looking at her, her Santa Monica house at the ocean was one story, and, uh, yeah, come on, Steve. So I don't know, but um, you kind of set that up perfectly, though, being in a California town. Um, so a few weeks ago, we talked on the podcast about Big Little Lies when it premiered on HBO seven weeks ago. And you stuck with it. I did stick with it because I remember both of us, none of, neither of us were very thrilled with it. And 
we didn't really know like where it was going to go like cuz it's a seven episode it's like a limited series and that's it they're not going to bring it back it's not going to be a second season with different cast members or anything it was just seven and then it was done um i would say the season premiere was probably the weakest episode and it just get kept getting stronger week after week mm-hmm. now to be fair if it would have been a 22 episode season i probably wouldn't have lasted 22 episodes but i came back the next week and i'm like oh this is pretty good and then each week it just developed the story and the characters more and last um, night was the i guess series finale then and it was just so such a satisfying end i mean it part of it was a little predictable like you could start to see it coming especially if you were like me and read some like theories on it ahead of you know showtime of what was going to happen but it was just a really good i mean the whole thing revolved around a murder at a fundraiser for an elementary school and there was and because i was hoping that they didn't like do a cliffhanger or oh it wasn't an actual murder somebody just got hurt or whatever but i mean they kept up to their word and it was it was just a really it was a little predictable but a really good ending and you know at the very end it shows all of these women who come from different backgrounds and hated each other at times and they just banded together and kind of showed your stronger together than you are by yourself. So I remember criticizing the debut episode. It didn't have that. That was what I was hoping for. So maybe and I needed e- to stick with it. Yeah, each week it got a little more because you you learned. Because the first episode, uh, Madeline, which was um, Reese Witherspoon, you just thought she was this, you know, like spunky kind of gossip, you know, busybody type. And she, and she is all of those things. But you start to see like what kind of made her that way and, you know, her life. And then you see Shailene Woodley and, like how she got there and Nicole Kidman and Nicole Kidman I mean we I think we all know she's a great actress but she was fantastic I mean she probably had the hardest role here and it, it was just it was really good I I was going on um, Twitter last night after the show and it was just I mean it was all positive um, but a lot of it was okay can we please Golden Globes next year like let the show sweep it and everything so Nicole Kidman wasn't watching the season finale series finale last night yeah she was somewhere else and I guess that brings us to our uh, this week's Love It or Loathe It. She was in the front row at the ACM Awards. Of course, husband Keith Urban, uh, one of the top nominees. Uh, and they kept showing her. <laughs> Nicole, she was she was this year's Taylor Swift. She was the, you needed a camera shot, get, get Nicole dancing. Get her and, awkwardly <laughs> dancing <laughs> yes. along. But uh, yeah, if you want to do Love It or Loathe, I'm going to tell you what. I, uh, the ACMs I thought were a mixed bag. There was some good stuff, some not so good. But uh, I love two things about it. This is the things I'm loving this week. I'm loving Miranda Lambert winning Album of the Year, which I think is the bigger deal. I don't care about Entertainer of the Year. I think Album of the Year is the biggest award. Who ended up getting Entertainer? Do you know? Jason Aldean. What? Right? Okay, can we we hit pause on your love for just (laughs) a second? Um, Did you see, I, I watched the first hour of the ACMs, and then I switched over to Big Little Lies, and then I switched back at the end just to kind of, kind of like, ease on like ease down my like my brain and everything after what I just watched on HBO but I did see Jason Aldean and dude was boring Mm -hmm. like just every episode it's like you're a millionaire can you just like crack a smile every now and then like we've we've thought that we've seen him in concert I mean he's he's, he does good songs but he's not a exciting showman not captivating at all and Wow, okay, I'm sorry. We can go back to your love. I just can't believe he was the one who won. Yeah, about that. But yeah, I love that Miranda won for Album of the Year. I, I was kind of worried that the country music was kind of pushing her aside. They, they weren't focused on her, and 
you know, sometimes she's not straight up country. Sometimes she's she can get rocking or she can get folky. And uh, but the the last album was pretty darn good, and they recognized that. And uh, you know, and she thanked them for she admitted there's some songs she's pouring her heart and soul out on, and went through a tough time. Of course, a highly publicized divorce. So. Uh, it was good to see a, a bit of a standing ovation for her when she accepted that. So I was real happy about that. I loved that. But you know what I loved even more? And this is even a, just a lighthearted thing, but Brothers Osborne won an award, and they were kind of rushing the thank yous, and it went to one of the, the members of the, the Maryland band, and he said, I just want to thank my dog, Cookie, for being happy when I come home all the time. That's all That's you really a, want, right? <laughs> didn't thank his agent, didn't thank his publicist, didn't thank the, the Lord above, didn't thank the industry, the fans. He just wanted to thank his loyal dog. And I really liked that. In, in a world of pompous acceptance speeches, and we watch them, we see them all the time, it, it just touched my heart. So, It was nice. And it's kind of nice that it wasn't political. It was right? just, I'd right. like to thank my dog for being loyal. Yes. So I can I'll, I can go with that love. I, I like missed to, it. But I'd like to think Cookie was home watching, too. <clears throat> prob- you know what? Cookie was probably sitting on a nicer couch than you yes. or I will ever have. <laughs> and, you know, probably had it on with three fans pointed at him or her. So... That's a good love. Uh, Yeah, why not? So I'm also loving something this week. I finally got to see Beauty and the Beast in theaters over the weekend. You are a big fan, I know, of the the original. The original um, animated from 1991. I love it. I've seen the musical multiple times. I've watched the movie countless times. I've seen the, like, short stage show in Disney. I don't even know how many times. But finally, got to see the live action, and it is amazing. And Emma Watson, the star, all the pressure's on her. What do you think? She was flawless. She was a flawless belle. She's... When they originally casted um, all of the roles for this, I I didn't think of her. I honestly I thought of Anna Kendrick. That was the first person that came mm. to mind because you know she kind of looks like Belle. She she can sing. She can you know she has that kind of showmanship too. But when they announced it, Emma Watson, and I'm like, okay, I could I didn't think of her, but I could see that. And I mean, she had very big shoes to fill for both a Disney movie and for the people who grew up with the original and it's like all right you know pressure's on and she she was phenomenal she was a great great bell did you at any point get teary-eyed I cried I cried during uh tale as oldest time when Mrs. Potts was singing and they did the dance in the gold dress and yeah it was it was just a really they kept it really true to the original to the animated they did add a couple of songs and they added a couple of um they like flushed out some characters and that kind of thing um but they didn't ruin anything most importantly they didn't ruin anything but it was just really there was one scene that toward the end that got a little silly but i imagine some of that was for the kids because i mean it's pg it is a kids movie even though i was a little irritated when i saw children in the theater (laughs) um but yeah so but yeah it was definitely um worth seeing and you know disney has done a lot with like the live action from the animated classics in recent years they did you know um maleficent they did uh what else did they do cinderella the jungle book and cinderella was good but you could just see how much they've grown with the special effects and the animated and the live action just from then to this it's a good recommendation. And still in theaters? You haven't yeah, seen it yet? Yeah, it's still in theaters. And uh, there's a Pittsburgh tie to it, too. Stephen Chbosky, who wrote Perks of Being a Wallflower and also did the movie, he did the screenplay for this. Nice. Yeah, All so right. you're also supporting a hometown, you know, person. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely it, it's definitely a good a good movie. They kept it to the original. But it's, it's just a fascinating to watch it, so... 
I'll get out to the theater and do just that. Yeah, so that's my love for the week. So um, I guess that's it for this week's episode of The Buzz. Uh, Thank you for joining us. As always, you can follow this podcast and our other one, including a uh, hockey one that uh, debuts midweek at timesonline.com slash podcasts and on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio by searching the Beaver County Times. And as we like to point out, uh, follow us on Twitter. That's where we give you the latest breaking news on entertainment. I'm at Scott Tady. I'm at Maggie E. Thanks for joining us.